Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Josh Como Show. We have a special guest named Eddie Steele on the building today. Ooh-wee! <laughs> so a little backstory. Eddie lives in my building. Uh, we were working out, and we just started talking, and he said... Well, you were working out. Oh, really? <laughs> Eddie, Eddie was just getting back in the gym after a, a, a two- or three-year... Uh, hiatus. Hiatus, yeah. <laughs> but anyway... What happened was he, I said, man, it's all, you know, confidence. He was like, exactly. It's all a mindset. And once he said mindset, we just got to talking. He kind of told me a story and I was like, man, I said, I have a podcast and it's, I like to talk about mindset and overcoming stuff. And I said, I would love to have you as a guest. So he was like, yeah, of course. So I just actually finished cutting his hair in the apartment. And now we're going to. Talk about mindset. <laughs> and I look pretty, so thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, I, I cut his hair first so he could feel good and be talking to. <laughs> In the right mindset. <laughs> In the right mindset. <laughs> anyway, uh, so what Eddie's got working right now is he's starting a podcast. Andy does com- uh, comedy. He also does voiceovers. And this is his third time in L.A.? Third time's a charm. Yeah. And then... <laughs> So we'll get started with his backstory. Uh, he's tried a few different things. He's been successful at a few different things. Uh, Not so successful. Yeah. Yeah. And too at some other things. And I always say success is defined by the, you define your own success. And Eddie's happier than he's ever been before. So uh, backtrack. You want to start telling us a little bit about yourself? How like either before you like. How'd you get started? Well, the, the, as you mentioned, this is my third time in LA. The second time, I'll just kind of reverse kind of in that order. Um, the second time in LA, I came out here um, my, with my now wife that I've been with now a total of 13 years and one child who was about to, who had just turned one. And I was working in real estate. I had a partnership going on and I was doing high level real estate investment. And I come from Fortune 50 sales training in the telecom business. And I actually applied to be on a show with a major guy named T.I. And I'm getting so old now. A lot of people don't know who T.I. is. Um, but he's known by na- many names. And, and he used to be a musician. And now, more recently, a reality star on VH1 and VET. And so I was casted to be on kind of an urban apprentice, if you will. And I was casted out of 20-some thousand people to be one of 12 to, to film a show in Atlanta. And I signed my contract with Viacom. Everything was going great. I was supposed to be on VH1. I had tickets to go fly out. I had a business relationship that was very valuable. I came from nothing and look at me now. And in the month of July 2016, I lost my, my show got iced um, later to be aired on BET and I wasn't on it. Um, and then my business relationship got canceled after my exposure on VH1 was canceled. So in one month, I had built everything culminated and was eliminated in one month. And then since then, I've been rebuilding myself and literally it's taken three and a half years to get back to L.A. So, so in that moment, you said you lost your, a, a business partner and your show contract and you was living in L.A. for how long? I lived in L.A. at that point, I guess, you know, I got that. I went on my first interview. OK, so I came to L.A. in, I don't know, let's say March of 2016. I had one interview for a real estate job. I went in there and I came out with a partnership. I went in to an interview on Hollywood on Sunset on Sunset at Nationwide Realty. Um, it's actually a funny story is it's in the same corporate headquarters as Grinder. <laughs> so I went in there. I was like, well, this is interesting. 
You know, so it was right I above Grindr. you walking into. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I was walking into. Yeah, so I, it was actually real estate, and it was just a grind of real estate, not grinder. And I came into an interview and walked out with a partnership. So from day one, when I came to L.A., I was already on a payroll, and I already had big plans to be doing big things. I had received so much momentum and was training people and making impacts that that type of mindset that I was in was such – it was at such an elevated point that when VH1 contacted me and we started talking, they were like, wow, you know, you've overcome a lot and you're helping a lot of people now. So, you know, that's what got me to that point. Well, to get to that point, you told me a story about uh, your first radio gig and how you walked in and you basically said you want to sweep floors. Yeah. So when I was 16, I come from nothing and I always figured that if you have nothing to lose because you have nothing, then why not try something? So I grew up very introverted, you know, which people say that I'm a liar to this day. I didn't talk at all. But I, I grew up listening to people on radio and I always had an affinity and short story, NFL Films, voice of NFL Films, Meryl Reese, he had a radio station that was in walking distance. And, and my mother said, hey, why don't you go and just talk to them and see if uh, they need any help and make yourself of value. And I didn't know if I had any value. So I went in there and said, hey, I'll sweep floors. I just want to be around and listen. And they said, sure. But I never swept one floor. And then on my first day, I was there and a gentleman who was supposed to do sports didn't show up and said, hey, Ed, can you write? And I said, sure, I'll try it. Then I wrote the story and they said, hey, do you want to do it on air? They pieced the responsibility to me. All in, in the on first day. On my first day as an intern, an unpaid intern, <laughs> as a 16-year-old, okay? And then I went on Monday through Friday now. I was on now on sports, Monday through Friday, at my, as a childhood idols radio station, all within one interaction of putting myself out of my comfort zone. And you said you was introverted. I'm introverted to this day, but look, I don't have calluses. I don't have any skills. I, don't, I didn't grow up with a dad to teach me anything. So what's funny is, is I grew up... With anxiety, I was introverted and couldn't talk to people. And now what I'm known for as an adult is my communication skills and, you know, how I talk to people. And then... <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's very draining for me. Now, with that radio station, how long did that help you kind of pull yourself out? And get... It started to show me that I had worth. Up until that moment, I didn't know if I... I didn't, thought I was just worthless. Okay. And then when I went in there and then I was shown that, hey, I can create value. I can create an opportunity where there was none. You know, that's where that's the first day I started to live a life of confidence. Okay, that was it. And then from there, I did that, and I didn't have a good mentor or anyone to teach me what I should be doing. And I, 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 I um, crapped on that opportunity, if you will. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know how to handle such an opportunity. You know, and I went on from there. When I graduated high school, I went to Cleveland to go on a radio show. Within, I mean, a, a radio school. And within thirty days at the trade school, I was already on radio at ninety six five Kiss FM. So then I dropped out of the radio school. Well, I got a quick little sidetrack question. Do you have a radio voice that you do when you're on the air? Just, just this voice. Okay. <laughs> you know how some people are like, oh, yeah, we got like that. Hey, what's up? Uh, my name's Edward Steele. <laughs> it's a wacky Wednesday. No, it's not me. No. It's just my voice. Yeah. No, it's, it's, you got a, a badass like voice like that holds your attention. I appreciate that. Yeah, I love it. That's why I make $2 a month on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> And you can make money on YouTube, and Ellie will show us how to in a little, bit, in a little while later. <laughs> Welcome to the, the, the House of Steel Circus. Hold on. <laughs> so anyway, uh, all right. So that's going. Now, for a person that was in your situation or, like, struggles with confidence, what would be a piece of advice for you to get them? To get out of that? Yeah. I know that it's kind of like a cliche thing that we've seen on any corporate billboard or anything in an elementary school, like believe, you know, like, yeah. but 
Stepping outside of your comfort zone, that's the only way to get anything you want. So in order to get something you want, you need to be uncomfortable. If you don't feel uncomfortable and you're not itching, then you're not ma- you're not doing it right. Okay. To be honest with you. Yeah. If you feel like you know everything and you're too comfortable, then you're doing nothing. So for me, action is everything. If you are always moving those feet, you can't even think about that insecurity. I got you. And if you contemplate and read too much and think and plan and then and then make that a um uh a stable point on why you're not committing action that's what gets people caught up so if i had to give one word action because action is what creates everything all your failures which aren't failures they become your wisdom yeah and then they become your what your keys to your success yeah because there's it's those failures that it'll make you think before you act you know just like some i've learned you have to like you said you just got to jump and move. Like the first time I opened my shop, I was like, I'm, I just moved so fast. It didn't give me time to think. I'm like, these are my numbers. I can make this work. Sign the lease. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it was that fast. But everybody's like, well, you wasn't scared. I'm like, no. It was like, I was like, in my instance, I was like, I'm still a, a hairstylist with a clientele. If the business fails, oh, well. You know, it's like, yeah. I'll, I'll try again later on. Uh but no, that's a great piece of advice. Is if don't give you time to overthink it, do it. You know. But then also the other flip side of that, what I've learned through the years of doing that, is that if I don't ever stop and kind of put some things together, then if I do the same things over and over again and expect different results, then that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. So then it really comes. The middle for me is everything, and it's I'll spend the rest of my life trying to grab the middle. Okay. And by middle, you mean. If it's all action and we don't try to think and try to, you know, readjust and reorganize ourselves yeah. after our action, then we can put ourselves in some of them same scenarios that weren't advantageous to us. So you. through that action, I've also now learned 10 years later, a couple of pant sizes and some gray hairs, you know what I mean? <laughs> to finally start to reassess some situations, you know what I mean? Because if I keep finding myself in certain scenarios, a lot of success very fast, but then not, not withstood for a long period of time. What is the variable then? What am I doing right? Yeah. What am I doing wrong? And what could I be doing better? And that's what I've had to learn the hard way. But it wasn't the hard way because it's the only way to learn. You could tell me advice all day long. And the truth is, it's only the only thing that your advice would be good for, or my advice to anyone, is the initial action moment. Because that's what most people struggle with, is just getting going. Once they get going, they go down the hill, and it's all, it's all there. But because we don't listen is what I'm saying. It comes from real action. You've got your experience from you taking risks. Yeah. You've gotten in inspirations from reading things, and you've been inspired to commit what? Action. action. Yeah. So that's what we can do. And so, you know, I will always tell everybody, whether at a Fortune 50 company, in sales, or, you know, at a barber shop, it could be being a creative writer. I don't care what you're doing. You know what I mean? Be a mother. I want to be a better mother. Okay, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Try something. Try something. Fail at it. You know, no one's ever going to be... You know, the kids um, are going to be coming out, right? <laughs> trying, you know, if, all I know is that we all, a lot of people don't have perfect parents, you know, but the ones that people say, you know what, they're not perfect, but they try. That's the ones that we know to be good. Yeah. It's not the ones that we think that are perfect. It's the ones that we know that try. So just try to do and you, and you can't fail, even though what looks like a measurable failure to society may be a measurable arbitrary failure. But if you take the wisdom from it, you never fail. I think that's the one thing people really do screw up on is worrying about what other people think. I did you know? for years, which is why I'm 33 and never went back to radio and was doing sales jobs for 13 years and entrepreneurial jobs to prove to other people that I was worth something. So you kind of gave up on radio in the, in the young 20s? 
Yeah, because I thought that it was a joke. I was a DJ making two, three grand a wedding. I was making $500 to make a commercial and I still thought I was a joke. And I didn't think I'd be acceptable to my wife's family. So I did all these jobs to prove to them that I'm, I'm worthy of something. And I had thought that if I did YouTube videos and I did DJing and I stayed on radio that I would be a clown because I'm from New Jersey. And it's like, oh, I'm another Guido, you know, with spiky hair doing these things. So I felt like a caricature. So I love my I wife you. so much that I changed everything about myself. In the process, I learned a lot about myself, but I gave up a lot. So this is the first true rebirth. Every time I came out to L.A. the first two times, I was trying to live an altered version of what would be acceptable and what I think I could do, not what I want to do. Yeah. So this will work this time because now it's all about me and what I want to do so that I can do what I want to do and need to do for my family. Nice. So <laughs> I like your style, man. Oh. So backtrack to when you said 2016, you lost your show, you lost the business partnership. I have PTSD, like, you know, I literally like even talking about it sometimes. It's like. Really? Yeah. Like I, you know, it's like, it's rich. It, it, really it, raw. I got you. You come so close. Now you have, this was four years ago. Yeah. When you, if you feel that PST, uh, PTSD come on, you kind of know how to pull yourself out of it or, um, can I be honest? Or, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, 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 uh, never medicated cannabis until, you know, until my later years, until I was almost 30. I, I never like altering my state of mind. I wanted to do everything on myself. I've relied on cannabis when I need to. Sometimes I rely on some things that are outside of myself because I realize that I'm not Mr. Steel. My name's Mr. Steel, but I am not Mr. Steel. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I working out, right. Or, doing things that are meaningful for my life. You know what I mean? But sometimes I can do all those things that we all know. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've lived in California for the quality of life and that enables me to be able to get medicine that helps my anxiety. Okay. I mean, because I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I wish I could tell you a better word track, but when you go through a life of war and you're fighting wars over and over and over again, you do accumulate a residual combat value and that weighs you down. You know what I mean? You can't go through the jungle and not come out with scars. Yeah. So over through that, you know, one of my buddies, you know, he was like, listen, buddy, you know, you need to relax. I was always, at, you know, wound up and, you know, I, I have a, a, a regimen, but I'm, I'm my best, not with a lot of cannabis, with intermittent cannabis, working out a healthy lifestyle and progress and momentum and whatever it is that I'm doing, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, because outside of that, I've always struggled with depression and didn't know what I was struggling with. So, like, in 2016, that's when you kind of figure out, hey, I'm like... I got a medical recommendation. Okay. So, you did go talk to somebody. I did. They got a medical recommendation for cannabis. And I didn't ever want to do any type of drugs, which this is, like, kind of a big deal, which is one of the reasons why they kind of selected me to come on the show is because my um, my father, you know, was, was, you know, in and out of, like, a organized type of gang, like a motorcycle gang, and was a high-level federal criminal, and had... Um, finished himself on his last bag of heroin after he robbed his last bank, something out of Sons of Anarchy. So I come from a long line of, you know, very bad ad addicts. So it was like the idea to me that, you know, the dare officer said, you don't do cannabis. Yeah. You know, the dare officer said, don't do it. So for me, I just never did it. And then once the whole culture of like, hey, this is, can be medicinal for some people. And that whole... Uh, it, right? Yeah, it's like you don't abuse it. I have when I first learned the relationship, you know okay. what I mean? I'm not, you know what I mean? But then I learned my relationship with it, you know, because I, for the first time in my life, I did have something that didn't require so many steps to get relief. I did just, I did have a fast fix. I, for, for the first time in my life, I felt, you know, 
Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I needed it finally at that point. And then I, and I disassociated myself. And my, my wife's brother is a Seattle cop, and he still believes that if you smoke a joint one time, you do heroin and you're in, the, and you're in the alley doing yeah, tricks for $5. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I've been smoking cannabis now for four years and never done tricks in the alley yeah. for five bucks. And I've never done heroin. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, you know. I think you, you, you can definitely use it for good, and it, you just have to be totally aware of yourself and trust yourself. Yeah. You know? Because. Uh, I see the great things like it just helps me sleep sometimes, you know, take a little drop <laughs> of oil. <laughs> and it's just like, I can't shut my mind off sometimes. Because so. you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you're a go-getter, you know, and sometimes we just need to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we just need to go to bed. Yeah. But it's like, I don't do it every night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I, I know, but I mean, I don't even like to drink no more. It's because <laughs> it's like, I don't sleep good. I'm tired the next day. Drinking is horrible for me, man. Yeah. Just, it's, we were just having a, my friend just got his medical card in PA <clears> and he just actually got his first gram. I told him how to do it and everything. And he has an alcohol problem. And I've been helping with it for over, over 10 years. And for the first time today, actually, he got his first gram, nine pound hammer <laughs> in Pennsylvania. And he goes, I don't think I'll ever drink again. Yeah. He's like, why? I smell. I hate my life. I can't sleep. You know, he's like, I just did this and I could finally, my, my mind come down for the first time. And he's 33 years old. You know, he finally can breathe for a second. And the guy who helped me originally, you know, I was thankful for him being able to be the first one. Because everyone, I grew up in the trailer park. Everyone did every drug. You yeah. know what I mean? Which is why I never did one. Yeah. Well, but, he's a very smart man. Yeah, for, <laughs> so, so for one Most guy. Most people just get caught up in it. <laughs> they do. As an excuse, I could have easily said, I, statistically, I'm supposed to be dead in jail or on drugs. Yeah. And I'm on neither. So I'm very proud of myself. I could die today and I'm a success. Yeah. You know, I have two beautiful kids. I've been with the same girl for 13 years. All the things that my family has never been able to do genetically in our bloodline. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm very proud of myself. And But I was always that 12-year-old who knew he wanted to be a father. Who knew he wanted to be a husband. Because you didn't have it. Because I didn't have it. Yeah. I think. I and then when I Googled my father to find him and say, why me? Why'd you beat my mom? And why'd you leave me? And why'd you choose a life of crime? And... He was someone who lived with HIV from Dirty Needle or a stripper. I don't know. Yeah. It's layers. You're like, does it stop? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. This is where adversity comes from. So he, um, I thought I was going to be able, able to. And the way I found out how he died was that I was looking him up. And my wife, my wife now was said, you know, hey, Ed, you should look him up. You know, you should reach out to him. There's a thing called Google. You know, this yeah. is back in 2008. And I'm like, oh, wow, to Google, you know, what's that? You know, is that like Yahoo? You know, and then so I tried it and my wife's like, find your dad. So, you know, say what's up. You know, so I never did out of respect for my mother. And um, when I did, I thought I was finally going to be able to have that gut check moment and just at least say, why? Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you leave me? Why am I not good enough? Why'd you like basically F my life up forever? You know, yeah. kind of have that conversation. <laughs> Why'd you never come back? He had died about 12 days prior, so I never got my chance. Man. So the article that I found was his, his article of how they found a man dead in a hotel after robbing the banks. And that's how I found out about my, my father. So I never got that chance to, to yeah. say why. Now, do you still think about like why he did all this stuff? <laughs> Every yeah. day, yeah. And some months are better than others. Like, you know, right now I'm fighting off tears. That are literally uncontrollable. Uh, it's just residual stuff that adds up over time. 
And I, when I was younger, I could act like it didn't affect me, but it's over years it's affected me. So that's why I live the life that I live because tons of my uncles, tons of people around me are dead from, from heroin or, or from whatever, from whatever it is. And it's like, I'm supposed to be dead in jail or on drugs. Uh. So I've always just did whatever I wanted to. And I've always been a clean guy. I have no record. I'm a good husband. You know, I'm a good, I'm a good dad. And and so I'm already winning. Nice. And, and if you look, your dad might ever not know what the hell he was doing. Like (laughs) he was so bad off, you know what I'm saying? Like they were Hungarian immigrants. So what happened was, is my grandmother came over and they came over. He was one of eight, like one of eight or nine children. They had no money. And, you know, they came over. My grandmother was shot in the head and lived until she was 78 with a bullet in her, or, I don't know, 78, 80-something with a bullet in her brain and died of emphysema because if they would have took the bullet out back in the war, she would have bled. So she was a hard-nosed lady, but she had no English. She spoke a foreign language. She came from a weird country called Hungary that still people to this day don't even know what it is, okay? <laughs> and so they came from nothing. He started stealing to feed his family, and 14 years old, he started robbing bread trucks. So he was always an outgoing guy who wanted to take his shirt off to help the next guy. And he got caught up. His buddies came back from Vietnam. They did heroin. He does heroin. And you just get caught up. Yeah. And you think you're worthless because you don't have a dad. And you have nothing around you. And, and it's just as a... It was a product. Both sides of my family are Hungarian refugees who came over from a war. And it's unspoken about or whatever. But, you know, we're left in the wake. We're, um, we're the kids of refugees with no network or access to money or anything. Right. So that has residual effects that people don't talk about. Yeah. And my father chose to handle that in a different way. Now you find talking about it helps you or it hurts you? I have to talk about it to share my story. Yeah. It helps others and it hurts me. It doesn't help me. It's yeah. never going to, I will never have closure ever. He died like 12 days before I reached out. And so I always feel like if I could have reached out to him, maybe I could have changed him. Maybe I couldn't have. Yeah. I don't know, but I'll never know. So I'll never be whole. I'll always have a big gaping hole in my soul. Right. And I'll always try to stuff it and that's a lot of the reasons why we have stories other stories and business and other things to talk about because I'm a human not trying to recreate the wheel I try to stuff my hole accordingly but instead of stuffing it with alcohol and cheating on my wife you uh, know and making excuses for myself I try to stuff it with other things I'm not a perfect guy but I try to be the best version of myself that I can be nice but yeah no nice. I've had all the odds stacked against me and I'm proud of what I've become I've pat myself on the back and you know I just try to be a better person every day I can and that's why I'm here, you know. I've had so many addresses in so many years, and I've had so many different positions and, uh, and so many different things because I'm supposed to be dead in jail on drugs. My own family still doesn't accept me, you know. They think that I'm, I'm too grandiose in my visions and I should basically work at Costco, you know, and which is fine if you work at Costco. Yeah. I don't want to. So, you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather be a cliche guy with a, with a podcast in Los Angeles who works at the Cheesecake Factory part-time, okay, and lives his life the way he wants to because I've lived the other life. I've made eight to $12,000 a month and I've nothing to show for it. You know, I've had all the cars and the things in the two-car garage and I've had all of it and I don't care. No, because when we first met too, it was just, you said, I'm happier making three to 5000 and struggling in LA than back home making 100 Gs a year and having whatever I want. And I was like, I totally get that. I understand it. <laughs> I was like, because... I feel the same way. Like, I'm struggling out here in L.A., but... If you told me you weren't, you're, you'd be lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the hardest place in the world to yeah. live. But it's just like, it, I'm the when I first moved out here, I, I rode an Uber with this girl. She came from uh, royalty. Yeah. You know, from the Middle East, and she was... 
I believe it. Had everything. And she was like, she was Ubering and she was like, this is the most talkative girl I've ever met in the entire life. And she was just like, I just didn't want that. And my family was just like, you're crazy. But she was like, I want to explore the world. And she's living it. And I'm like, I think that's a beautiful thing when you actually go try. Like you said, all you got to do is try. And it's like, you just have to know sometimes. Like, you got to, like, experience it. But you have to be one to take a step back sometimes, you know? That it was kind of going back to, you know, I was, I, I had to recreate myself in a lot of ways over and over again to even have this conversation with you today. And, you know, even just six months ago, no one really knows up, honestly, until right now when I tell you that I was, I had to, I had to walk away from a Fortune 50 company where I was the guy who runs everything. And I'm the guy who I do what I want when I want. I yeah. hire and fire when I want to being a delivery driver. For Grubhub, yeah, in the middle of Central PA, and I had just lived in Las Vegas Country Club, you know, and I took a contract, <laughs> you know, I took a contract with a Fortune 50 company again for like the eleventh time, and you know, after the assignment was done, our relationship soured like like always, but they always vote me back, they always bring me back because I, I I get it done, and then I said I don't want to have this lifestyle again, I don't want to work six months, then don't work for six months, and I knew that if I didn't make a change, I would um. I'd be miserable. And the definition of craziness is doing the same thing over and over again. So I started delivering food. I went from being a CEO, entrepreneur, owned solar company, supposed to be in BH1, all these adjectives and all these cool things, right? To being a delivery driver in Central PA, where people crapped on me on a daily basis and were talking to me as if I had no life experience when I had more than probably half the town and one, you know, just in my pinky. You know, and I'm not say that to be like a pompous guy because I'm telling you, I'm nothing. I don't know anything. Yeah. Okay? I, that's what life has taught me, that I am just matter, okay? <laughs> I am just part of the picture. I am not the picture. And, you know, so I had to take a step back. And within three months, I took a step back. And I knew that if I did that, I could get back into radio or now we call it podcasting or yeah. whatever. And I created a relationship with someone in Vietnam that I didn't meet off of Facebook. And, you know, I've made thousands of dollars with this person doing voiceovers. But I had to, I, I had to start delivering food, so I had the flexibility to chase after Jobs didn't pay a good amount, so I could learn the information that I needed to learn on YouTube so I could take that and replicate that on my own. And now I'm at that point, and then four months after I made that decision, I'm in Hollywood. Yeah, which a lot of people don't have the, the ability or want to step, take that step back. Well, I had my second child, not to interrupt you, but I Ooh. just had my second child. <laughs> I can't take care of myself, my wife, or my first kid. You know what we should do? <laughs> we should add a second one because that's going to make it better. Because that's what Dave Ramsey says. He goes, when you can't afford your life, add more. No, he, he doesn't that? say that. No, oh. he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't like, say that. I was like, ah. No, he doesn't say that. You know, I'm being facetious. I would, I, but I did it. Yeah. I'm here. That's what I proved to myself. No matter what, no matter how much money or how little money, I'm always here. Action, baby. Like, every time, it wins. And I'm, I, I thrive when I put myself in a bind, which a lot of people are like, you know, you know Deadlines. I I kill deadlines. I don't do good thirty days before. Oh yeah. <laughs> but if you can get past that ego and, like you said, take the time to learn what you need to learn, because when I moved out here too, I almost bought myself time. Like having, because we know what you like. How can I say this? I was book solid back home. So it's like I would just fill up my day instead of trying to take like two hours to learn something new. I would just put clients and I would make an excuse like, oh, I'm too tired and I needed this money. Uh Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, but when I put myself in a bind, I cut back on all my expenses to where I didn't need the money. 
And I was like, okay, if I don't have to pay for this and that and this, I just bought myself time to where I could read for two hours and learn something. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it's like... And you took action, though. So you read, you sacrificed, and you executed. Yes. And it's like, I'm the happiest I've ever been. And it's like, I'm not as busy as I was back home. You had to almost recreate your clientele from scratch. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I'm I'm doing that. Which but is commendable. Because who does that? You're comfortable. You build your clientele. You're the guy. You don't change a thing. You're only going to add to your wealth at that point. Yeah. And you were like, you know what? I'm done. I want to blow it up. And yeah. I love people like that, which is why I live in this building, which I don't like all the people in this building with all the noise all the time because <laughs> I am an old man. I am a boomer, but I do love the general vibe of the go-getters, you know, and like yeah. you're here. You're like, you know what? Let me blow that up. That's why I love being out here, too, because most people out here came out here for a reason. They came out here to chase a dream. And it's just like it's motivating. And then when you like I said, you in this bind, you're going to find a way to make it. And then usually at, you get creative. Like, I'm a creative person, but I'm using my creativeness for either marketing or, you know, for putting myself out there instead of just creating hair. You well, know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no. And that's what the thing is about when I'm, we were talking about podcasts. It's like, you know, everyone has a different goal with their podcast. You know, I have a different goal with mine. But the way you're treating your hair, a lot of people don't realize it's like with a podcast, it's not just talking, right? There's a whole, you know, umbrella that goes around that. If you wanted to do something else, just like you can learn how to cut hair, but how are you going to grow a business if you don't do all the other things? Yeah. And it goes with the same thing, but that's with anything. It goes with a relationship, with anything. If you do not plan it, water it, mature it, and stay with it and sustain it, you will do nothing. And I can speak from experience because I'm Fast Eddie. They call me Fast Eddie. My first restaurant was called Fast Eddie's. Okay? Yeah. I'm really good, really fast in the beginning. And then sustaining it, I get bored with things and I put them down. The only thing I've never put down... Is my wife. I'm telling you, I don't, I get, I've, had, I've had every brand new car. Not every brand new car. I've never had a Ferrari or a Porsche. Yeah. But I've gotten myself all the way up to a brand new Mercedes. I've had new cars every six months at a certain point. I mean, it was like the ne- amount of negative equity I've got myself into was insane. You know, I, I looked at it as fun coupons. I was like, oh, negative fun coupon equities. Like, let me get this car now. You know, this has a new cup holder. You know, and I didn't care about it is what I'm saying. It all really comes down to me personally. And when people ask me all these things about hustling and grinding, what's your definition of success? A lot of the people that used to seek out my advice don't like talking to me anymore because they don't want to hear what I have to say anymore. I talked to someone today and I, I know when people haven't made money, when they tell me their goal is to make a hundred grand, when they haven't even made a thousand a week. You know, I don't know how you're going to make a hundred grand in a month when you don't even know how to make a thousand dollars in a week and not live with your mommy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have all these masterminds who listen to Ty Lopez and, you know, they talk about, you know, self-development. It's a like, cool. Grant Cardone and Ty Lopez are great. What are you doing? What have you done? Who are you? You know the, what I mean? The best thing I ever heard Gary V say was like, he's like, if you still listen to all these videos a year and a half later, he's like, you didn't do a thing. I have respect for, for somebody saying that. Listen, I'm going to take your money today, but if I'm still taking your money in a year and a half from now, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth. No, I watched Gary V for, you know, a good five, six months and it got me motivated, but I don't really watch his videos anymore. He's the I try to tell people when I was the motivational speaker and the sales manager, I'm not, I can't do everything for you. But I can be a flint or whatever you call it, flint or flint. I don't know. The yeah, thing that starts the, the fire. The spark. <laughs> that's what you can be. But if you don't bring the kerosene, if you don't bring the fire, you're, you know what I mean? If you don't bring it, the flint's just going to sit there and not create anything. So. And then what you said earlier, too, is just like. Family's warm. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Uh, you have to 
anything worth building is going to take at least two to three years, if not five. So all these sparks and motivation, you know, they're great in the beginning, but you really have to really want it, one, believe in yourself, and then, like, keep pushing because you're going to get knocked down again and again and, and again. again. Yeah. If you want to be the success that you talk about. Yeah. If you want to watch Shark Tank on a Friday night and go, yeah, i do that. If you do it, i do it. All right, well, if you're going to take the sacrifices and you're going to do it every day, every day, and you're going to mortgage your house and you're going to put everything on the line and you're going to almost divorce your wife and you're going to almost literally look at everything that you've ever done in your life and question everything you've done up until that point, then don't do it. If you're not, <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. If you're not willing to put all that on the line, then you've watched. Then you don't believe one, it. You've watched one too many episodes of Shark Tank. Yeah. Okay. Because watching Shark Tank and living in the tank are two different things. Have you told someone, have you hired someone and told them you're going to pay them only to be able to not have the money in your payroll account because another vendor didn't pay you one time? You know what I mean? That's it's like, do you know, that's like, <laughs> that's like, I'm not sleeping for a while. I mean, I'm going to go from a size 38 to 44 in 30 days. <laughs> you know, like you're going to have a $50,000 project be stalled because of per- papers, permits, and arbitrary processes. And now what cash flow you thought you had now is completely not even in the equation. And now you went from hero to zero and... People at McDonald's literally within twenty within twenty four seconds make more money than you. Yeah, you know. But then twenty four seconds before that, you had fifty grand in your bank account, and now you're overdrawn, and you couldn't even get two nickels to rub together if you if you tried. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you know, I've just I've been there. I've burned the money. I've wasted the money. People go to business school. I dropped out of college. You know what I mean? So I could go and learn it. And you know, I'm always going to say actions everything. I had a little motivational thing when I was going to be on a reality show, and that's why they selected me. And it was like you know you know steel motivation it was like action is everything you know that's it no so. I, I firmly believe that and you gotta be okay with making mistakes that's what people is like you make one mistake they give up and it's like no 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 no. if you can't get past one mistake you can't own a business because it's like <laughs> you can't have a relationship with anything yeah you you if you can't look at your wife or your your boyfriend or whatever um in the face and go i i i made a mistake i effed up yeah. i jacked up then you're never going to have anything successful. You're not going to have a business. You're not going to have a YouTube page. If you can't look at your Instagram account and go, that was a horrible picture, you have no accountability. You will never be successful in anything in your life. And I look at my wife all the time and go, I'm sorry, genuinely. I messed up. I'm a loser. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's why it works. Because, you know, and you know why I haven't been able to go anywhere with my comedy? Because I've been able to apply that failure mentality in business and everything else in life, but I'm a human like everyone else. And... I always thought that I had to have perfect comedy first and I never applied the same thing that I've done to everything else. And up until recently when I was fat, ugly and almost had nothing left to offer, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to fail at comedy so I can get good at it like I did with everything else in my life. But I just had that epiphany two minutes ago. You know what I mean? So now that's why I moved to LA, honestly, though, so that I can start the failure process in comedy that I should have started 13 years ago. I always thought that I had to wait to be perfect at comedy, not realizing that I was supposed to be the failure that I am and, and fail my way through it upwards the way that I did in business. I never knew how to install a solar system. I don't even know how to say any of the things. I just learned it. And, yeah. and these are like, if I got it wrong, people's houses catch on fire, you know? So, but you just, when you, I only learned something on deadlines. I only learned something when my back's against the wall. And, and that's what I've done. And that's, but what I'm saying is, is now I, you have, if you're not willing to fail, 
and take rejection, you're not willing to do anything successful. So go be a teacher. And I, and I know a lot of people are going to like that, and that's controversial. But my friend's a teacher. I said, he goes, being a teacher is really hard. Ed. I'm thinking about becoming a real estate agent. I said, when did you hit your head today? <laughs> I, said, I said, you work one-third of the year, okay, and they tell you what your lesson plans are, and you just got to show up. And you're talking about this is hard. You're, let me be an all-commission real estate agent because that's going to be easier. Yeah. It's like, no, certain people need to stay in their lanes and do their thing and have the right expectations. You know what I mean? And I was talking to that same person has anxiety and he finally started smoking some bud. And we started talking about how now he's like, wow, now he can breathe. And, you know. Yeah, sometimes you got to give me room to breathe. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I can only talk to you for 10 years until I have to say, do drugs. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. Like, but. You don't have to do them forever, but, like, just get your, your, your train of thought back on right. It's a keyhole. Like, you know. So, well, we don't have a keyhole here, but like, you know, like, think about it. Like, sometimes, like, it's just being able to have an altered perspective to take a look through the keyhole of truth, right? You know, I try to tell people cannabis didn't change my life. It just gave me the ability to take a look through the keyhole and go, oh, that's where I'm supposed to go. It didn't put me on the other side. Yeah. It just allowed me to look through a keyhole. I would have never even crouched down to even take a peek. You kind of gave yourself a step back. Yeah. 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 And that's what you got to take a step back and then be prepared to fail over and over again. And the guy I talked to today, he did not want to hear that. He, he just wanted to be like, no, if I read enough books, I'll be perfect. And I'm like, no, you won't. No, you've I'm never not. created one job. You've generated zero revenue. You've done nothing except make fraudulent claims after a Ty Lopez seminar. <laughs> and, and you are in a category with 1.5 million other people yeah. who Ty Lopez has gracefully, you know, provided Trained. his Trained. quote unquote services for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would think that they should be labeled as under entertainment. Right next to Alex Jones, but that's my personal opinion. <laughs> so, the, uh, so you, 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 you go right now, I used to do comedy. Yeah. Uh, what I heard, I talked to a comedian a while back, and they was like, the best thing about comedy is, like, you can fall flat on your face, and you could, like, nobody in the audience can be like, he bombed, like... It's all in perspective. Yeah, so like the, the best part about comedy, as hard as it is, you can go back on stage the next day and they're going to give you a second chance. Yeah. Like even the best comedy, the best comedians, they still bomb. All the time on new sets until they craft it. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't realize that when they were crafting, like let's say a statue, a statue, people don't realize they didn't just create one statue without it breaking. That broke over and over again. And, oh, the, and yeah. now I'm realizing you're chiseling and breaking and chiseling and breaking until it doesn't break no more. And it's like, it's, it, comedy is an art to where if you say a couple of jokes and you, you feel your audience out and you be like, well, these jokes ain't working with this type of crowd, yeah, hurry up and switch it. And then like, you try to find the type of material that like... Works for that crowd. Yeah. Well, see, in training and sales, I've always been a good trainer. I've always been good at connecting one-on-one or in a room of 50 people. I've always been, you know, pretty funny. I, you know, people seem to laugh when I talk, you know, and, but I've used that ability in sales and I've used that in everything else. I just never structurally said, I'm only going to use it. For this, because I was like, I wanted to make real money. Yeah. Now that I've, I'm tired of making money. I said, well, why not be poor in Hollywood with two kids and fat, and then I'll just do comedy, and then just you know, if that doesn't work, I'll just kill myself. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I told you my comedy is a little bit dark. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit darker. But you're laughing though. That's called comedy. Yeah. It's <laughs> a reaction. The the, the, the the same guy I was talking to said, "What's worse than a boo is." Dead silence. He's like, dead silence is a killer. It, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's literally like a guillotine. I'd rather be stabbed in an alley. I'd like, rather get a boot in it. Uh, 
like nobody listening to me. <laughs> because in sales, dead silence, like you know, dead silence is good only up for till five or ten seconds. Because after that, you've lost them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You, I always, you teach. You say, listen, um, you know, you don't say anything after the silence. Obviously, the first person who speaks loses. So you have to wait. It's all psychological, you know. So I've been crafting, you know, sales scripts and psychological sales scripts that generate millions of dollars in sales, in sales settings. That mostly half of which were I was using humor, humility, and comedy to be able to, to get into people's houses, literally, to get in their houses or to get you know them to commit $50,000 over the phone. And again, so I'm like, if I can do that, I started saying, my wife kept on telling me over and over again, you do that. You, you build that for different audiences, for different people, and then you actually tailor it and download it into other people who do it for all kinds of other different audiences. Yeah. So I think you can do it for this. And that, now I finally believed her and I finally believed myself. And if it wasn't for her, my wife literally, like, I'm behind every good man, I do believe this, is a better woman. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you can't be a great man without a good girl. What yeah. I'm saying is, is you can be a way better man with a, with a good girl. And a lot of good, a lot of crappy, shitty men would have been a lot better, better men if they would have chosen a better girl. Yeah. It goes both ways. I mean, it goes both ways. I'll give him the credit, but I'm also going to, you know, put, <laughs> put some weight on him too. You can't have the credit when it's good and then not take anyone's back. The woman makes the man. Yeah. Or if you know, or if you're in a different relationship, the man makes the man. I don't know, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but it's someone's making the relationship. But I'm, the whole point of the story is, I give my wife a lot of credit. That's awesome. She gives me, you know, without her, the, her unwavering support, I want to be able to be a failure comedian cliche here in Hollywood. She would have been like, "I'm going to leave you because you know you're a loser now." You know what I mean? But she yeah. actually said, "Ed, I believe in you. You should be a loser," and she let me be it. And now here we are. <laughs> I don't think you're losing. I'm just playing. I'm, I self-deprecate. But I'm saying she's always believed in me, whether it was a business or that. I don't care what it is. She's like, let's go. I'm like, let's move here. She's like, let's do it. She's never said no. And that's why we're together. Because if she ever said no, we wouldn't be together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it doesn't work. It's like, so she's literally like my soulmate. I love her like that. She's, a, she's my real Bonnie and Clyde. She's my, my, my ride or die. Nice. That's awesome. And we man. don't change you're each lucky. other. We only improve each other. That's awesome. Yeah, that's hard to find. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> so with the uh, you know your girls here, right? Oh yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> <amazing. laughs> just joking. Yeah, no, my girl's awesome. No, I know. She lets me do what I want too. That's why you're here. And believes in me. Yeah. And supports me. And I've done messed up a bunch of times. So you know. Yeah. And, and I've really messed up in the beginning of our relationship. And guess what? That is a good woman who made me a better man. I was a boy when I met my wife, and I became a man with my wife. We've been together 13 years as of yesterday. Yeah, the fact that y'all could change with each other says a lot. 30 addresses in basically 13, yeah. 13 years. But I'm saying age-wise, because like 20 to 25, you're a type of person. 25 to 30, you're a type totally of person. Totally agree. Yeah. 30 to 33, I'm a different person. Yeah. Really, right now. So, And, and that's really what's amazing is that we've changed with each other every single time. And yeah. that to me is amazing. It really is. I'm very thankful for it. God, wind, earth, mother, fire. I don't know what it is. I'm thankful. Well, getting back to... You said you made a joke, I'm a loser and moved to L.A. The fact that you had the courage or the fact that you moved to L.A. to try, you, to me, you're winning. For the third time. For the third time. With two kids and I'm fat and ugly now. <laughs> I used to actually be marketable. Viacom was like, oh, you know what? This guy's not so bad. Now if they see me, they'd be like, we made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. Uh, <laughs> so... You also starting a podcast? Yeah, the House of Steel. House of Steel. What's it going to be about? Um, basically, the the first ladder, the first stages before suicide. 
<laughs> you should see Josh's face. Uh, listen, I'm from New Jersey, guys, so <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty dark. I, I'm pretty dark. If you guys have heard of a guy named Tim Dillon, I, we're pretty on the same wavelength. I, I pretty much. I'm just saying, I'm a pretty dark guy, but it's all in good fun. Um, it's the House of Steel, and it's going to be a variety, a variety comedy show that you know. It's going to be, you know. The after effects of growing up on Joe Rogan, Opie and Anthony, Howard Stern, Grand Theft Auto. You know what I mean? When I was 14, I was listening to Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern while I was taking hookers around in GTA, yeah. you know, and killing them for the five <laughs> bucks I gave them. And then I do my homework and go to bed. Yeah. So basically the show's about like what 30 years of being a degenerate American looks like. You know, it's it's going to be it's obviously satirical, but it's really it's a it's a show based on motivation. It's about overcoming, but it's comedy. We're going to be interviewing. You know, one of my first couple shows has a top 50 Pornhub couple. You know, they're on Pornhub. You know, they're in the top 50. You know, they make six figures. You know, they're very successful at what they do. Then I'm going to have a geneticist. Then I have an erotic hypnotist from Denmark. You know, then I have a a former Franciscan friar, which is like a monk, a Catholic priest. So I literally am going to have a a wide array of different things on there. So it's going to be anywhere between a Howard Stern and a Joe Rogan. So you have all these guests lined up already? I, those first two episodes I have those yeah. already lined up. Yeah. Nice. Now, when do you plan on launching this? In the next week or two, yeah. The House of Steel um, is my Instagram, and, and then also, um, you know, Steel Productions is part of YouTube. But The House of Steel, if you go to the Instagram, that's going to have my link to everything. And, you know, I'm going to have a Patreon page, and I'm going to be on Apple. We're going to start as an audio-only podcast and then quickly transition to an audio and video. Do you have a team with, that you, is going to be helping you with this? or I, I do. Um, me, myself, and I. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just like everything else, I've bootstrapped. So, you know, I've, I'm the one who reached out to these folks. And, you know, I've had a lot of doors slammed in my face. But people don't realize what it takes. Just to even get these folks on my show, I had to sell myself and sell the show yeah. to be an actual producer. So uh, here I am. I'm the producer. I'm the editor. I'm the copy. I'm the everything. You know? So, yeah, right now, I am. I'm looking. My, my real true goal for the show is I do want to find a producer slash sidekick uh, co-host. You know, that's what I am looking I for. I have heard this trick one time. If you try and get guests on your show, send me an email and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm Eddie Steele's assistant. Uh, we're looking at... That's what I said. Yeah. I actually, said, I actually got This is these, a real trick. I got these guests, actually. I had one Pornhub couple laugh at me. They were like, they're top, they were making tons of money. And then, because then the, the, I was like, hey, what's up? And I did it wrong. The second time, I social, social engineering is everything. So then I said, hey, listen, I'm a producer out of Los Angeles, okay? We're looking. We have a couple slots open, and we'd like to fill you in. We like what you're doing. We think it's real interesting. Would you be interested? I'm a producer with a show in Los Angeles. Yeah. Boom. Done. You know, I changed the approach, and, you know, and that's taking a step back. Everyone wants to be, I'm the CEO, I'm the ego. Some of the most successful people I've ever worked with, what I learned from is they were the owners of the company. When I first met them, they told me they were a regional recruiter. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And no one except a few people knew who these people really were. No, it's true. So... Yeah, because if you if you're the owner, you wouldn't have time to make the appointments. Exactly, and you and you know, but you got to start from somewhere, and you never want to lie. You just want to know how to present yourself, and that's the key thing. What did I just say? You never want to lie, but yeah. you want to know how to present the best version of yourself and your situation. And if that's what you do, and it's truthful and authentic, then you put yourself in the best scenario. So a lot of people have that saying: "Fake it till you make it." You can only fake it till you make it so much because people all smell a pretender. Anyone with real experience can smell that shit a mile away. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying, right? No, I understand. So there's a line where you can go up to it and you take everything you have and everything you don't, the things you don't have, you turn them into positives rather than you focusing on the negatives. Yeah. So I've always been able to go to someone and say, hey, listen, I got one of my first real crazy management jobs just by saying, hey, listen, I don't have any of the experience. But what I do have is the ability and the tenacity to want to do it. And you've seen what I can already do. Pay me half. 
and I'll do twice as much. So I've, I've always put myself in scenarios to be of value. And, but then what do you have to do when you actually Perform. get yourself? You said it. You, I didn't even have to lead. You actually knew. Perform. I call it execution. Perform. It's the same thing. Yeah. You have to execute. So everything we talked about is great. And if, if you get yourself in that position, even better. But then when the baton is past you, if you do not execute and you do not perform, you will never get that past you again. Like It'll be very rare. I mean, there's going to be other opportunities, but it gets fewer and far, far between the older you get. My one saving grace is that I do have references and that when people have passed the baton to me every single time, I get it done. Yeah. Everybody I've ever worked with makes money, period. Any investor has ever given me a dollar, they've gotten all their principal back, period. Anyone listening, I'd love to hear you. I'd love to have you challenge me. Yeah. Anyone who's ever given Eddie Steele a penny on a business platform has gotten all of their money back. And I take pride in that. And they've gotten their money back right away. Yeah. So the moral of the story is position yourself. Action. Action is for what? To be positioned. To do what? To execute. And that's what it is. And, you know, so. But you have to. MIT. Motivation inspires truth. So you have to put yourself through your own MIT. Right? Okay. You have to put yourself through your own MIT. Find your own motivation to inspire your own truth. Once you find that, then you can start the process of positioning yourself uh, you know what I mean? To execute. And I think we all start wrong. We all try to position, you know, ourself, not knowing that we have to get there to position ourselves to execute, but we don't even know what our truth is or our motivation. I think in my experience is too, if you start a little bit smaller, you give yourself time to grow instead of like, oh, I'm all this. And then you can't. It's okay to be small. Yeah. yeah, yeah to, but it's like you find out if you really love it. You've, and then, like, you won't waste more money. Like, some people are like, oh, I'm going to be a workout king. And they go buy all this clothes, all these shoes. And they go to the gym one time and it's like, oh, this ain't for me. How many podcasters have you heard of who goes and buys all the equipment? They didn't even do one episode. They didn't use their phone. They didn't use what they had available. Yeah. You know? And then they go and they buy all the stuff and they don't even do an episode. Yeah. No, because <laughs> this is a funny little story, too. I want to do these interviews. I've been practicing this since probably... The last four years, and I, saw, I used to set up cameras. And I'm like, oh, we're gonna do this YouTube platform. I would never take the time to edit the videos. I did four interviews or three interviews and never edited the videos. So I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna just do podcasting. And I was like, I want, I was so tempted to go buy all these microphones, but I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I finally learned is like, start as small as you can. We still record on an iPhone, I still do anchor. Like, I don't. I keep it simple because, you know, it, it keeps me it going. Works. Yeah. And then what I also did for this podcast was like, I'm not talking about I have a podcast until I got three episodes yeah. done. Yeah. Once I had the three episodes done, I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with it. I like this. This is fun for me. And then once I had the three, I promoted the first one and it bought me time to do a couple more. Yeah. And then I posted the second one. And now it's like, I'm trying to be more consistent with it, you know, but it's, uh, if you start smaller, it, it, it does a couple of things. It saves you a lot of money. <laughs> you know, you get better at it instead of putting yourself on a platform and falling, embarrassing yourself. And then you never do it again to where it's like, Hey, let me try this. You know, you work your way into you get it. Get into it. I, yeah. I started back into voiceovers on my phone, uh, four months ago. And one of the first videos we did for one of my voiceovers, he had uh, my partner had five hundred and fifty thousand views on it, on a True. crappy phone recording. Yeah, so overnight it got five hundred fifty thousand views, and then I have a better mic now, and sometimes I get two thousand views. So I'm saying, it was about starting. And my first radio commercial that I did, 
in 2007, I was on radio and I had garnered a relationship on Clear Channel, which is one of the largest communications companies in the world. Most of the billboards you see are owned by Clear Channel. Most of the radio stations you hear are owned by Clear Channel. Okay. I had started with them and they said, hey, Ed, here's your opportunity. You know, we need you to write a commercial for a local bar. We need it done by the end of the day and we need it. We need it recorded now, and you can't use the studio. you got to use what you have at your house. So I recorded my first radio commercial on a $15 laptop microphone on a, on a crappy computer that was built in like 2005 and 2007. And I did it all with no experience doing that from copy to, um, to production. And then it actually was aired on the radio that same night. Okay, on that same night. I never did that before in my life. I wasn't <laughs> even 21 years old. And I did that with nothing, using somebody else's computer. I lived on blow-up furniture in my apartment. It was my first apartment. I had to use someone else's computer while they were at work yeah. on their laptop microphone. And I got paid $300 or $200 for that. And it allowed me to get a hard drive that I was able to get a bunch of um, cr- music in a creative way, we'll say, to start my DJ company. <laughs> and, you know, and I strung that along. You know, but it was like, you know, I started with nothing is the moral of the story. And I've always started with whatever I had. And then I, then I upgrade. And, that's what, and you know, I should have did this before with the podcast. I was... The only reason I say I have the podcast is because I put in lead time. I started out. I've been promoting the fact that I'm going to have this. I said two months ago I'm going to be launching it in February in Los Angeles. No one believed me. I'm here. I'm going to be launching it. So the thing is, is you did it the right way. I, I was very cautious to even put it out there. But then I had to so it would become real for me. Yeah. I had to. And then I put a deadline on it. And then I did it. Yeah. And I've already hit the milestones. And I'm doing it now. You have to know yourself when you're trying to do something. Like you say you have to put it out there. I keep it to myself because if I talk about it too much, I'll never do it. Like, but that's just me. No, 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 for sure. You, you know, have to like your lane. Yeah. So yeah. it's like you have to learn yourself. Like, I don't do stuff now until it's already done. See, I had to do it. Like, I put it out there because I no one calls me a liar. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I put it out there, and then I hit every milestone, and now I'm doing it. Yeah, I, I like kind of sharing this story too. When I was about 28, I had all these ideas for products, right? And then, uh. I would tell my clients about it. I would start on them. And then five months later, they was like, hey, how's, your, how's, it, uh, going? how's it going? And I'm like, well. But that's every barber I've ever met. Yeah. Until, until they get to the other side. You have your young barbers. And then and a lot of them will be cutting my hair. And they're like, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a company. I'm doing this. And I'm like, hey, bud, where are you at? Yeah. And it's just, uh, and I, I caught myself, I felt stupid one day. And I was just like, I was like, I, I, and then I turned 29, you know, and I'm like, creeping on 30 i'm like i'm getting old i hadn't done nothing yet and it's just but it, it was that that mo- aha moment like okay i need to just stop talking and start doing and start doing it. <laughs> See. you know and i always had an excuse oh well you know this is the money or it's just the time or i was like we all have the same amount of time yeah and most of your billionaires started from zero most of them yeah yeah like my the guy i look up to is john paul DeGiorgio, like He's worth billions, and then like he was living in L.A. homeless. Like my um, cousin, <laughs> my cousin through marriage, or my cousin's married to a gentleman named Keyshawn Johnson, and he grew up in you know in L.A. you know with not a lot, and he still has a sign in his house that has all the street names that he grew up on, and he came from nothing, and he doesn't like me, even though my cousin says that he he does. I know he doesn't, but it's okay. He, <laughs> he, but I do respect him because you know he created himself from nothing. And he went to USC, then he was drafted, and then he played a lot of time as a Super Bowl ring, and he came from nothing, and he created himself. But football is great, but what I'm really impressed is, impressed that he's a great father, 
and coming from nothing and now that he has multiple Panera brands and he owns multiple businesses because a lot of athletes get money and then they lose it all. Yeah. He's actually got his money and sustained it and turned it into other things. So, you know, I think that's really respectable. That's awesome. And, but he started, the whole moral of the story is, is he started with absolutely nothing and he didn't use any excuses. And, you know, when I look at him, I go, wow, I'm a loser, you know, because I came from nothing and, you know, I'm not where I want to be. And I say losing in a joking way because if I die today, I'm supposed to be dead in jail on drugs and I've already done amazing things. I've already lived three or four lives. Yeah. But... I still have that big hole I told you that'll never be whole. Even with my beautiful wife and my perfect kids, that's a different hole that's filled, you know? But yeah. the other hole that's unrepairable, that one has to get real big stuff thrown in it. That's why we <laughs> live in Los Angeles and not Pennsylvania, you know? We try to fill that hole as much as we can, make it nice and comfortable. Yeah, and then you just have to, I think, I think how can I say this? You ever watched the movie A Peaceful Warrior? Mm-hmm. You seen it? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that he's like, "What happens if you don't win the gold medal?" And he was like, "My life's over." And he was like, "The way of the peaceful warrior." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I just, if you're okay with a Dan Millman, I think I forgot who wrote the was. book. There's a movie and then there's a book. Yeah. But he was just like, if you're okay with not winning a gold, and he's or if you can see past winning a gold, like the guy was trying, he was a, a gymnast, and he was like, "What happens if you don't win the mm-hmm. gold medal?" He was like. I don't know, but as soon as he was, like, okay with not winning, he took all the pressure off his back. And he won. And he won. And that's what, every time you see it happen like that. Yeah. And, and you know, your pressure is great and action is great, but then you have to learn how to, when to, de, you know, decompress. And, you know, and that's it, what you were just saying. I've had, like I said, I've had a lot of material success and I've lost it all and give it away. If I wanted it, I'd still have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't care about it as much as I did. Now I realize, oh, well, I needed these resources to take care of my family in a better way. But my whole moral story for me is that I don't care what I do. If my podcast doesn't reach the subscribers I want it to, it's fine. If I never did anything else in my life, it's fine because I am living my life. People yeah. think that you're not living your life if you don't hit these arbitrary milestones. I have a beautiful wife. Most of my friends can't find a half of a good girl or half of a good guy. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to have my wife. I'm so thankful to have my kids. And everything else is just what it is. It literally is what it is. It's just part of life. Life is literally meeting people and sharing food and laughing and then you die. Yeah. And then if you just try to spend your whole life worrying about all these arbitrary things that aren't really a part of your life, why? Why? I've been around millionaires. I go to them. My cousin's one, you know? She's like, why are you saying that? I'm pretty sure everyone knows. It's fine. It's clear. But yeah. I'm saying, I go there. I'm not saying that their life isn't great. Their life's awesome. Yeah. I really, but I'm saying, I'm at the same game and the same dances next to $30 million per year people. You know, her friends, not mine. Yeah. You know, but I'm saying... We're at the same places. We eat the same food. It's not that much different. Do they go home to a chateau? Yeah. Do I? <laughs> do I? No. But when I'm over these places, I don't come out and be like, wow, I'm like, I'm a better person for yeah. being here. No. I've been in the Kardashians' house before Scott Disick and Courtney bought it. I've already used their toilet before they got to. Yeah. Am I better? No. I'm poor and they're rich. Yeah. So none of it matters is what I'm saying. It, for me personally. I, other people don't want to hear that. But well, for me, I've given up my struggle to prove myself to this world and to everyone around me. And I just want to live for me and my wife. And if, as long as my wife and my kids are happy with me, then I'm happy. And whatever comes, comes. I just want to be here and I want to do a podcast. And if one person listens to it, great. Yeah. Okay. And that's what it is. And I've learned to do that. And now I'll always be happy. Yeah. No, and I think if you're happy, though, you see more success. You, it puts you in a... 
it's an overall chain effect. Like, if you're happier and you see a penny in the ground, it makes you even happier. If you, like... Well, us meeting each other is part of a side effect of it. You yeah. Know, getting up and coming out. If I never came out at that time and stepped outside of my comfort zone because I'm trying to be a happier person or I'm in a happier state, we don't meet each other. Yeah. You know, there's just all these chain effects that, like, literally, if I don't come out that day, we might be never... I could live here 15 months and I'll never meet you because of timing. Yeah. You know, so, like, I look at this as a positive interaction and now we get to talk and have a good conversation, but it would never happen if we didn't put ourselves out there. Yeah. I think, yes. You have to learn how, like you said, step out your comfort zone. Even in that interaction, not to cut you off, but I was feeling intimidated by you because you're a good-looking guy. You know what I mean? You worked on yourself, and I used to be in the same scenario. I'm not happy with myself. You know what I mean? If anyone can't tell, I'm pretty hard on myself. You know what I mean? So I'm pretty rough. Even and there's when, no reason to be. It, in my head, there is, but you know what I mean? But this is just my personal struggle. Yeah. You know, so when I sat there, the way that I deal with nervousness is I made a joke. And I looked at you and I said, got to start somewhere. Yeah, you did. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, you know, because I was feeling like a pile of shit. You know what I mean? I was just sitting there feeling like, a, you know that scene in Jurassic Park with the big pile of dinosaur dude? <laughs> yeah. I felt like that, you know, because I'm looking at you, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, I really fell off the wagon here, you know? And then like my knee doesn't work, nothing works. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, you're an imposter. Who are you? <laughs> but I made a joke and then we started talking and then you realized, well, he's not a... He's not a lost homeless person from Hollywood Boulevard. He actually has something here. <laughs> nah, I've I want to ask this too. You said, you, you know, you, you gave up your radio and you got into the corporate world and business. To please my wife and her family. Yeah, but the, the, even though you, you might regret it, you, the stuff you learned along the way, including sales. Mm-hmm. How valuable is that going to be to the next half of your life? Like, it's a great question, actually. By the way, great, yeah. great question. It's tremendous. If I would have never went down that road, I wouldn't have been able to been able to highlight or be able to sell myself and the new confidence that I have, and then be able to translate like like that into what my abilities are and what my abilities mean to you, and what that means to you, and how to explain what that means to you, and then actually culminate that into a dollar figure. These, that's a hard process. That's yeah. a hard process to do to someone and have them stick with you and then have to feel comfortable with you and either give you a lot of money or buy something from you for a lot of money. So when I, the way I got into sales, I was on radio in Cleveland and I couldn't handle my success. I didn't have a mentor. I come from nothing. I got a call that like my father, my stepdad at that point, you know, my stepdad was basically wanting to kill himself and was trying to hang himself. And then my uncle hung himself and killed himself it was really bad yeah. and then my mom said my mom like lying to me or not telling me she's like hey how you doing you know and then so i had her telling me the truth you know and i couldn't handle it i was out there as my first place alone i had all the success within 30 days i don't know how to handle it i was I had people come up to me and go oh, that's your what you're on the radio and i'm 19 years old with no mentor or nothing i don't know what's going on and so what happened was is i really couldn't handle it and i and i regretted it every day for a long time um, and so I got in a car and I left my lease and everything. I left all my radio opportunities behind to come home. And I said, I'm going to be big in Philadelphia. If I'm big here, I'll be big there. They love me in 30 days. Hell, huh. give me 60 and I'm good to go. Yeah. I met my, I, it never happened. And when I got back, my stepdad at the time was like, you need to get a real job, kid. You know what I mean? And then he was like, there was a car sales job, okay, for a Toyota dealership. Back then was paying $800 a week to train i was like damn i was like okay you know what i mean like this is cool and then they paid a lot of money for me and sent me to a lot of trainings 
And from there, you know, if I would have never went and took the job that he said, hey, get a real job, kid. It, it, I hated it, but it also gave me – I did so good right away. And within 60 days, I became a general manager of half the dealership. Why? Because I asked. I started asking questions that no one else asked and put myself in positions. When someone got fired, I went in and said, hey, I knew he had 20 years more experience, but I'm sitting in this chair. And I was the first one out of 45 people to ask. I'll do it for half, whatever you paid this guy. And I started creating value where there was none. And they taught me all these things. And from there, I started to work for companies like Comcast and Verizon and DirecTV. And I started to be a sales trainer. And I just always had success. I, then I would leave, start a company. And so if I wasn't working for myself, I'd be working for someone else. You know, that was my triangle, you know. Um, but I never got back to radio. I just never found a way to get back because I was like, I just make too much money doing yeah, this. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. It was just <laughs> too hard. And, you know, and then I was like, well, if I take another job and I, I became this traveling guy and I... You know, people would call me up and say, hey, well, we knew what you did on the last Comcast campaign. We'll give you 15 grand right now. We'll wire it to you. We'll give you five grand just for you to say yes. And then we'll put you up and everything. Rooms, you name it. That's the type of contracts I used to get. And I gave that all up to deliver food so I can move back to L.A. to be, uh, you know. You keep getting tests of uh, how bad you want it. And it's like. How bad do you want it? Yeah. I could have went back and got another job. And I could have said, hey, Ed, we're going to put you in Vermont this time. And, and then you can go be a mercenary. I've been a traveling sales mercenary. I didn't want to do it. I said, I'm done with this. I'm yeah. done. I can't put my family through this. Another address, another place. And I also can't lie to myself anymore. And I also am done caring about what your family and other people think of me. Yeah. I'm going to go back to what I did that I already had success with already. I already was getting paid two or three grand, a grand to do DJing events. I already was on radio on a top 30 market radio in the country. I already was on radio by the age of 16. I already had success, but I've always been low on myself. You know, and my dad dying when I was 18 years old after never having a relationship. You know, these things don't help. And you didn't know that this was affecting me. Yeah. I didn't know that was affecting me until two years ago. You know? I see what you're saying. And then you finally meet people in your family you never met. And then they... Then they don't reciprocate your feelings, and then you feel even lower about yourself. And then you gotta now you have to work through that. You thought you were gonna meet your family on your other side, and they were gonna embrace you, and then they don't. You know what I mean? So there's all these things I had to work through, and then my mother's going through a divorce with my 20 year stepfather, who wasn't my father, but he was like a yeah. standing guy. There's just all these things that you don't realize that are affecting your ability to either be successful or not. And now I've learned how to distance myself and detach myself from as much as I can. I've learned how to safeguard myself in my, in my journey. I've learned how to protect my peace. It wasn't all for nothing. So my 20s were for learning. Yeah. And my 30s are for... I thought I was executing my 20s. Bro, I'm taking all of that and putting it all into what I told you I am. And it's all about me and myself and I and my family. You yeah. know? And it's going to be a wild ride. Because it's always been one. And I, <clears throat> I love that you said you starting in your 30s because it's like... We're not dying. We're living. No, like I, I told him this when we first met. I was like, moving to LA, I feel younger than I've ever felt before, and it's just like because I'm doing what I really want. I'm having fun. Like I'm challenging myself. I'm learning new stuff. Like I'm in a new place, but it's just it's the whole mindset. You of, put yourself out there. Yeah, you know you you didn't know. We're all still twelve year olds on a on a sand on a on a playground trying to like, hey, I'll share something of mine. You're some, when I started to walk away, you didn't know how you were going to ask me. Hey, yeah. how are you going to be on my podcast or something? I could almost tell. Yeah. But then you're like, I'm just going to ask him. You're like, hey, man, want to be on my podcast? I like talking to you. And then I was like, this guy's a cool guy. You know, because you, you went for it. You yeah. know, a lot of times people would just say, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, and then you went for it. So everything about you, you know, is really cool because you're from the bayou out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have an awesome, you know, you have a, you're, you're a great person. LA is full of personalities and you're an awesome personality. 
Well, thank you, man. <laughs> like, and I mean that in a great way. Like, yeah. you're a dynamic dude. You're you're a part of the fiber of that. What, what makes LA great? Uh, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, like, you know, that's why I came here to be around like-minded individuals like yourself. You know, yeah. folks that aren't like me but are like me. And then we come into a melting pot and then we see, holy, you know, you have an accent. I have an accent. I might curse a little bit more than you do. You know what I mean? But guess what? We both like the same stuff. Yeah. We're both the same people. We really, I'm just saying. We're all people. We're all people. <laughs> all of us. You know? And, and, and even our food, we, you call it Cajun. I call it paprika. You know, all of our spices are all the same. They, we just have different names for them. So living all over the country, meeting all these different people, I realize that for me personally, and this is a great topic, Los Angeles is for me. Yeah. But it's not for everybody. No, it's not. You will find out who you are and who you are not when you come <laughs> to Los Angeles. That's why I love it, though. Because it's, it's, you're, you're surviving, which means you're thriving here. Yeah. To, to survive in L.A. is to thrive. I like that. I never thought about it like that. It, 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 is. it is. It's very, you know, the measurable, the arbitrary measurement of success is much different here. When you survive in L.A., you're winning. You're winning. This is a hard place to survive for anybody. The janitor at, you know, at JCPenney, you know, if you're yeah. here and you keep the lights on and feed you and your family every day, yeah. you're a winner. Yeah, I don't care what you're doing in L.A. To me, not that anyone's better than anybody, but when we play the arbitrary game, the janitor at Target, which is every job is not better or every job is equal in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just saying the janitor at Target is better than 97% of the country. Why? Because he lives in L.A. Yeah. And he lives here full time and he pays his bill and, and he hasn't been kicked out. Because LA will eat you up and swallow you out if you allow it. And the people that are on a daily, I, we, me and you come out here to dream. We come out here to live our life and dream. There's people out here that don't dream shit. They just want to pay their bills. Yeah. And those people are the rock stars. Because they live in LA for the rest of their life with no expectations of any grandeur. With any type of self-fulfillment. They literally live here to make the city move. And those are like these are the people I want to talk to. too, yeah. Because we're dreamers. These people are in L.A., one of the hardest places to live in the world, just living to survive. And that's why I said, if you survive in L.A., you're already a thriver. Because I can go live in Columbia, Missouri right now. I can have a mortgage for 400 bucks a month. Yeah. and have no quality of life and hate it. For me personally. But for the people listening to the podcast, yours or mine, those people listening to all these areas, why do they listen to us a lot of times? Why? Because yeah. they want a piece of Los Angeles. They want a piece of your life a little bit. Why else would they listen? You know? And so yeah. what I'm saying is, is I just personally, it all just comes down to, I like what LA, what it attracts and what it creates. And I don't like, I don't like smelling urine on the ground in Hollywood all the time. Yeah. I don't like a lot of those aspects, but the yin and the yang couldn't be any truer in Los Angeles. You know, it's equal parts. If you want to choose into the positive vibes here, you can. And if yeah. you want to be in the negative vibes, you can. There's no middle here. Fast. There's either <laughs> good days or there's bad days. There is no okay days in Los Angeles. <laughs> and they told me, he's like, you can have the best day of your life and the worst day in your life in the same, same exact day. day. <laughs> Just like you can ski and snowboard. You know, you can snowboard and um, surf in the same day. Oh, yeah. California, by nature, is dynamic. If you, if you want to get a weather report, good luck. There's 17 temperatures because of the inland empire, the mountains, the LA, the coast, the, everything is dynamic here. So if you're not prepared to peel some layers back and add some, don't come here. Yeah. Okay. Go to Texas. You know, well, and you could like, like he said earlier, this is not for everybody. This place is not for everybody. But it doesn't make us better or you worse. It's yeah. just a different flavor. And you kind of got to have to like be true to yourself, what you want to do and you know where you want to be at. Cause I've left here going, you know what? 
I don't like this. This isn't where I want to raise my family. And then I went to Hershey PA where they make the chocolate and, you know, and I've lived in all these structured family places yeah. where they say you should raise your family. And I didn't like it. You know, my, we like to talk to people. We like culture. We like diversity. We like different things. So for me, I've lived on the Vermont Canadian border. I've lived in rural areas. Did you go see Ben and Jerry's? I have. I, I didn't go inside the factory, but I got really angry when I found out that they were ruining all the lakes up there. I'm Ooh. like, Ben and Jerry. Oh. All the beautiful lakes in Vermont, they all have green algae on them. And most of it comes from Ben and Jerry dairy farmers. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a Hollywood hipster too. <laughs> so like, you know, so I ruined ice cream. Yes, I did it, guys. I ruined ice cream. <laughs> yeah, so. My girlfriend loves Ben and Jerry's. I love Ben and Jerry's. But then when I got there and I realized that they're just like, yeah, man, love, we love everything. And then meanwhile, they were polluting and killing all of the water. It was non-potable and you can't even swim in it. And all the wildlife is dying. And it's all from 80% of Ben and Jerry dairy farmers. You know, and, you know, it's like, well, okay, now I'm angry. You know, you know now, now I'm angry. And then, like, I, I moved there, and I'm thinking, like, you know, well, they said, you know, Bernie made this place. This is a place. It's a paradise. Yeah. And I get there, and they're like, Bernie's an ass. You know, Ben and Jerry's ruined the economy. I mean, you're like, oh, great, dude. You put that on the postcard. <laughs> you know? I at least live off of Lake Champlain. It was beautiful, you know? But wow. it was like a lake you couldn't do anything in because of green algae. And so it was like, yeah, you can eat your Ben and Jerry's. You know, but you can't swim in anything. It's like, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Jer. But, you know, they have great flavors. Good job, guys. You know, I don't like when you guys ruin a whole ecosystem, but great flavors. Well, I kind of heard that story. Is this, they couldn't hold down a job either, so they just did what they love. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, they you just know? did what they love, follow their dreams and their passions. And, and that's where you stay in your lane. It goes, it goes to, like, stay in your lane. Like, I have a lot of people who go, oh, you're doing this? I'm going to do it. No. And when I was younger, I fell into that trap. Oh, you're doing something. Let me just do it because you're doing it. If it's not a match, it's not a match. It's yeah. okay to have friends. Who, you, you know, just because you're a hairdresser doesn't mean I'm a hairdresser. You know what I mean? Like, that's okay. I want friends who do other things. Oh, yeah. I want us to be different, you know? I don't want all the same people, you know? And I think that's what people need to realize. Sweet. Like that it's about your lane. It's about whatever you do, whether you are the janitor or target. Just be your best Just at be it. your best at whatever you want to do. Not, you know, taking risks every day and watching your bank account get depleted over and over again isn't, like, for everybody. Like, you know what I mean? Putting, like, all the money you've ever had on the line and telling your wife it's going to be okay only for it not to be okay, that's not for everybody. No, it's not but for everybody. But Barbara Corcoran doesn't tell you that on Shark Tank because they only have an hour, you know? <laughs> and there's 30 minutes of commercials, you know? No, okay. <laughs> it's, it's like... I mean, you're not, they don't tell you that, like, when you've, you told your wife it's going to be okay for the fifth time in seven years and it's not okay, and she has to look at you in your face and lie to you and tell you that it is okay when you know that it's not okay. Yeah. You know, that feeling is hard to swallow to know that you failed, not only as a business person, but as a husband and a father. You know, that is hard weight. But you learn from it. You got back up. And she keeps, and she stayed, and that's why I love her, you know, because most women, they, a lot of people go, most women would leave. I don't know how you deal with that. And it's yeah. like, okay. I don't know how Jeff, you know, I know I'm, you know, like, oh, you just compared yourself to Jeff Bezos. But I'm saying, I don't know how his original wife who just got divorced and got like, now she's the second richest person in the world. I don't know how she stayed with him yeah. or anyone who's ever been successful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. Because with me, there's no middle. I'm either going to be what I've been, you know, my level of success or a complete loser. I'm never going to be an accountant. I'm yeah. never going to be a teacher. I'm never going to be that. That's just not me. Yeah. It doesn't make me better or worse, or the other person better or worse. That's what I learned. It's just about our lane. So I told my one buddy today, listen, don't do a podcast. Don't do real estate. Do teacher. Okay? You're a good teacher. It's okay to be a good teacher. It's okay to 
have all the vacation and benefits and have no risks in life. Yeah, entrepreneurship's not for everybody. It's just not for everybody. And, we, no. and we're in a renaissance. We're in a wave where everyone's a podcaster. Everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone's doing it. It's like, no. It's not a glorious lifestyle. It's not glorious, and it's just not for everyone. It's yeah. just not. It's just not. Because usually it takes 10 years to become successful at it, and then as if you look. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like I, entrepreneurism is a sickness. It's more of a less a disease. You know what I mean? Not not the answer. And you know what I mean? It's great for me and for other people, but for a lot of people, it's like you know what? I look at people in the union, and I look at people with other jobs, and I'm envious. I I'm like I wish I could be that. I wish, wish I could do that. Work eight hours a day and go. And I've done it, and I can't do it. <laughs> I I've tried it over and over again. I'm envious of that. All I want to do is work Monday through Friday. 40 hours, watch sports, drink beer, fall asleep, and die. But I can't do that. I can't either. You know, I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't just do that, me personally. Yeah, this is a work night, and it's 8 o'clock. No, I lie. It's 9 o'clock at night. It's 9-11. It's, How come every time someone from the East Coast looks at the clock, it's always 9-11? I never knew that. <laughs> well, you're not, from the, you're not from the Northeast. No. You know, every time, we always get all get PTSD. We see 9-11, we think of Twin Towers every single time. Really? Because, when you know, yeah. that's what we grew up with. Man, I actually saw that. Uh, I went to New York one time, and you know how loud New York is, and it's like you come around the corner to the memorial, and it's like silence. And it's Have like, you heard me? Listen to how loud I am. There's a million of me. But it was just it was a it was it was a weird feeling, like just walk around the corner in New York being like quiet, and it was just I don't know. It is. It is. It moves you. My wife lived <laughs> close enough where she's seen the smoke from the Trade Center. And where I lived, I lived in between where all the three triangle accidents happened. And a lot of people who went to my school, their family died. You know, so, like, I, the moral story is when I see 9-11, yeah. I cannot help but think about that. Man, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> but you said on a work night, here you are, and we're doing a podcast. Oh, yeah. 9-11, like, 9-12. No, it's just, when you have it in you, you just keep doing it. And you just... You cut my hair after all day, too. Like, you know? Yeah. You you were like, you know what? I kept on checking in with you throughout the week. I was giving you many outs. I'm like, hey, man, if you want to reschedule. And he was like, no, we're doing this. He cut hair all day. And then he cuts my hair after cutting hair all day. And does a podcast on top of it. <laughs> when we was in hair school, I would go to hair school, get off at 3, go home, take a 10-minute nap. Tell a lie. Like, 10 to 15-minute nap, get dressed. Go away tables till 11 o'clock and then, or 10 o'clock, 10, 10, 30, and start a highlight at 11, not knowing how to do a highlight and like praying and hoping it's going to come out pretty. And then like sometimes it didn't. And like we would stay up till like three o'clock, like two o'clock in the morning. Like, how do you fix this? How do you fix this? But all those, how do you fix this just made me good. Came through the actual experience of how do you fix yeah. this? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, how do you, let me ask you a question. How did you, how does someone like yourself get into that? I mean, you're from, you know, Louisiana. You know, how do you get into be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a Beverly Hills fashion, like, hairdresser stylist guy. Uh, it's dynamic, obviously, coming from that part of the country. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I would be even... You know? Come, yeah. Literally, Growing up, I wanted to be a race car driver. I know, like, like everyone else in the bayou. I just wanted no, to... <laughs> I just, that's all I wanted to do is race cars. Or but, you wanted to race boats with big fans on them. No. Nah. No. That's just me. I like power boats. <laughs> I know. I'm just jealous. I like anything with speed. Do you know what city boys always make fun of the people in the, in the country? The only reason why we do that is because we're jealous. Because the only thing we've ever rode is a subway or walked on concrete. You know, and the only water we've ever touched is from a fire hydrant. So that <laughs> is... So, and the only lakes we've ever swim in were man-made. You know what I mean? So yeah. we are... You know, so the only reason I make fun of people like that is because I'm jealous. 
No, man, I just, I, I was always a kid with a comb and stopped my so hair. You just always, you know, you're always known as the kid with the good hair. Yeah, and then uh, I wanted to cut my hair more and more, and my mom was like, no, we can't go, like, I can't go to the barbershop every weekend, and then... Uh, <laughs> you better learn how to do it, boy. Well, my cousin taught me. Well, my cousin explained it to me, and he was like, I cut my own hair, so I did it, picked it up, went to college, quit college, and like, and I was like, what am I good at that's, like, very short amount of school? <laughs> I love that, yeah. You know, I was like, I didn't want to go back to, like, I, I couldn't see myself in school for four years. So anyway, I was like, I know how to cut hair. I'm going to do that. And then, uh, how long have you been doing it? Professionally since 20, 13 years, 14 years. As long as my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just uh, being a, a famous hairstylist was never a dream of mine. Or it's just I was good at it and I did it. But like my big goal now is to have a brand like with hair products. That is how I That's see the myself. vision. Yeah. But how did. Let me ask you a question. How does the, a masculine guy like yourself, you know, because we're not talking about, you didn't get into the business today. Yeah. You got into business 13 <clears throat> years ago where the climate and the social, I'm saying the social standards are yeah. a little bit different in the, oh, in no, the no, conservative no. South. Yeah. How do you, how was that transition of you getting into like that being living in the South? Well, basically I knew myself and I was like, I worked with my dad in his shop and he, he had me doing repetitive stuff. And as I'm doing the repetitive stuff, I was like kind of just doze off. I'm like, I can yeah. So I knew I couldn't do repetitive stuff, and I knew, because I cut dude's hair. So I was just like, if I keep cutting guys' hair all day long, it's going to feel like work. Oh, so did your dad, was he a barber? No. Oh. My dad was a bricklayer. Oh, bricklayer. <laughs> but I'm saying, well, he, he was a bricklayer, and he he had a shop. Repetitive, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I just knew. And then, like, you see older people, and they're like, their brain didn't work as good. Like, they just knew what they knew. And I was just, I was like, I want to keep my brain working. I don't want to do repetitive stuff, but I need to do hair. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to do girls' hair. And like, cosmetology and barber school was the same amount of time. Yeah. So I was like, I might as well learn both. And then I'll keep myself challenged. And and you're never worried what someone would have said, like, oh, why are you doing girls' hair? No. Not one time. No. And which was what makes you good at it. Uh, I'm just saying in general that like, you never even thought about those things. Like, Well, no, you know, I mean, I got like... I would have been like, oh, my friends are going to make fun of Because honestly, I've always thought about hair. I've always thought the idea of being an entrepreneur, having your own like clientele in your book of business, I always thought that was a cool trade to have. Like, yeah. If you're going to have one. I always thought being a barber or honestly a hair designer, you know, I thought that was cool. Yeah. But I honestly thought that, you know, yeah. I wasn't allowed to do that. And it wasn't acceptable for me to be an alpha male from New Jersey doing that because people are going to go... I lived in a place in New Hope, PA where... The, most of the people there was like West Hollywood. Most people just happen to be gay. You yeah. know? It is what it is. But just me telling people I lived in New Hope, people would make fun of me, which is, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah. But back then, I still would like, you know, uh, you know, like, you know, I'm not, I have a girlfriend. You know, I shouldn't even have to defend myself kind of thing. And I'm just saying, I felt like that kind of same thing would have always been there. So I was ignorant, you know, growing up thinking like, oh, well, guys can't do that. No, no, I don't get it. Uh, my thought process was I'm working in the AC and having fun. And that that's... I, and it's a great thought I process. grew up working in construction, like pushing wheelbarrows from like 13 to 19. So I was like, I really don't care. Like, I'm and having fun. This is easy. It doesn't feel like work. And I'm in the AC. Are you, have you ever had a girlfriend in the past ever not like that you work with a lot of girls? No, because we, we wouldn't, wouldn't be together dated. in the first yeah. place. <laughs> have you ever had girls that you had first courted that were like, they didn't really like your exposure to women? No. You're a pretty lucky guy. Uh, no insecure woman ever in your life? I'm joking. Oh, no. I had that. <laughs> but I'm saying at, night, 
at 19, I, I was talking to a girl in high, like in cosmetology school, and she made that comment. I was like, this is not going to work. Like, She's only like, we're done. Yeah, I was, like, she was like, because they was like, who's talking in the background? I was like, that's people, I went to school with 50 girls. So I was like, I was like, that's the girls I go to school with. I don't, I don't like that. I'm like, oh. well, I don't like, yeah, <laughs> we're not going to be a match. Yeah, it's not going to work. But. No, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, I didn't, you know. You know, yeah, I just thought it was interesting as well, and I think it's cool that you have that. You're you had more self aware, self assurance, you know. Whereas I would have been like, oh, you know, I can't do that because I always thought if I had that task and I had that license, I was like, I would have opened up a shop. It's like you just get the place, you get the location, you get the low rent, and then rent out the chairs. I always want to own a barbershop. I still do, honestly. Yeah. I'm like the idea of a barbershop and a tattoo place, and then it's just relationships and then helping empower others. And then, you know, cause there's different models within the business, you know, yeah. there's the full retail model and there's the, I rent out the chair model, you know, but I've always been intrigued by it, but I'm like, the only way I'll ever be able to own a barber or a hair salon is if I have a partner who has the license and, you know, so it's, uh, I think it's really cool. I, wa- I used to watch that show on, on, I don't know, whatever, E or something, and it was like Tabitha and like, oh, yeah, the slot makeover. Over. And I'm over, I watch every episode. You know, I watch every single episode. I'm like, I can take over a salon. I can do it. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. but hairstylists are very hard people to uh, work with. Okay, but, <laughs> okay, but this is why I've always liked it because I've worked in sales all yeah. over the country with, with people who have zero skills and I teach them skills and they're yeah. the hardest people because they think they know everything. So I know how to deal with egomaniacs. I know how to deal, you know, every art, every hairstylist, and well, most ones. And, and tattoo artists, they're God's kid. They're Michelangelo, if you didn't know that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of them are. You know what I mean? But I'm saying the way they present, their, it's not something I'd want to buy the way that they tell me. You know, you get what yeah. I'm saying. I, because I meet the barbers who are like, I'm the best, I'm the best. They barely even talk to you. I've had tattoos done. You've had work done. I don't, you know. I've had only had one, you know, because the experience that I had was like, just like this dude thinks he's a celebrity. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you could be good at your craft, but, you know. I'm like, can you just do my, like, I can't even answer a question without you making me feel like I'm this small. And that's what I've noticed sometimes with, like, the good barber or the good tattoo guy. But I I always knew, like, people would say, oh, well, tattoo and barbers, let's be honest, you're dealing with a lot of addiction. You're dealing with people coming out of, I'm not saying it's like that for all things, but I'm saying a lot of people are recovering or they're young or, you know, whatever, they're transitioning. So you are dealing with difficult personalities and stuff like that. But I thrive in difficult situations, you know. So I always think it's fun. I mean, I literally started the solar company. And it's the hardest thing to sell, period. It don't matter what your political affiliation is, your experience. You know, I took people, A, who don't even know about solar, taught them solar, and then taught them to teach the other people to talk about solar. And it's very technical. You know what I mean? And it's like, so if I can take people who have no skills and nothing at that particular time yeah. that's transferable to offer, it's like, well, I think I can deal with mismanaged barbers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I think if I could teach someone how to execute a $75,000 contract who had zero experience doing that, I think I can teach them how to upsell a cut and collar, you know, and build a clientele and put value in there. Instead of charging 20, they could charge 30. So I think personally, running a barbershop, or, and I know I sound like someone when they say, oh, I think running a restaurant's great because I did that. I sound like that person when I laugh at them. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I sound like him, you know, because they're like, oh, you ran a restaurant? I always want to open one. I'm really good at making chicken sandwiches. I'm like, good for you. you yes. Yeah, you, you need management. You need <laughs> you need a lot more than being a cook. And so, so yeah. So, like, but I always do like the idea of like, I'm like, I always tell my wife, I'm like, somehow I got to own like a tattoo and a barbershop. And I don't know how I'm going to do it because I'm never going to go to school for cosmetology. <laughs> no, you don't need, I mean, you just have to apply for the licenses. Like, you don't have to be an extra... But You'd have to have helps someone to, with the license. It right? helps to 
to know the approach of the business and how it's yeah. going. Which is why I watched and why I'm qualified it because I watched all of Tabitha's makes up. Tabitha was great. Yeah. <laughs> so she I came this close to meeting them, but she walked away. Did I you? saw it at a hair store, yeah. Well, like a Red, Redkin hair salon, hair show? No, this is a, just a big office. I'm just making things yeah. up. I don't know. Uh, I forgot who's. Somebody hired on, but I didn't get the chance to be. What's your craziest. What's the craziest story someone's ever told you in the chair? Have you ever had anything where you're like, wow, that's crazy? Because don't people talk in the chair? Oh, uh, yeah, I had some crazy ones. I had a lady tell me, she, she, I was like, I'm from Karen Curse. She's like, I used to go pick mushrooms in the cow pasture behind my house in the first five minutes I met this lady. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah. She was like, we would get so high. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what they tell you, isn't it crazy what people will tell you? The thing is, though, they get, they feel super, you can have somebody sitting right next to you, but once you're in that mirror, you Everybody feels like they're in this like secluded room and nobody can hear. In the zone. Yeah. But that's a, a, an ode and testament, though, to the ability to make you make them feel good. Yeah. You know, a good barber or a good hairstylist has that ability. They Even when it comes down to the touch of the massaging. And, the, you know, everything, you can be like, wow, this person, like, cares. You can tell when someone generally cares about doing hair. Oh, yeah. You know, you can tell. And I, you know, and I like going to those people, you know. And it's, but it's funny that, that you had mentioned, though, too. I have, like, you know, in, kind of, in some of my comedy that I, I talk about. I always talk about that entrepreneur barber. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because it's like every time he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that." And then every time I would go back, it's like, "Hey, man, where you at?" You know? He's like, "Nah, man, just got new Air Force Ones." You know? Yeah. I'm starting my Shark Tank investment tomorrow. But then I meet folks like you, and you know, and it breaks up the whole like stereotype, or whatever. Yeah, know? but because how was it? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, but you know what's good about that? I tell people, I was that too in my own way. I yeah. was at one point some guy who didn't do anything on radio, and then I was like, yeah, you know, and then I did it. But I, I tell people that, you, you know, unfortunately, you have to have a genesis, and you have to start somewhere. So the fact that, like, the people that I kind of rag on and make fun of just a little bit, I still have way more respect for that person because it's a process. That just means that they're early on in their journey because we were all there. Yeah. You know, and if you say you weren't, then you're a liar and, you're, and you haven't even started your process. So, I, you know, the fact that someone's even trying and saying those things, it's good, but I think most people stop at that. And that's where the problem is. Yeah. Which is most people were. Well, they don't give themselves enough time to be like, hey, I'm like, time just something. moves. And it's just like, or if they you hop around too from, 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 I noticed some of my hairstylist friends are, 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 they're always hopping around. And I did the same thing in sales. They go from one chair to another chair to another chair to another chair. And I'm like, you should move now because you've hit every chair in the city. You're, you have to stay at one place and then build a clientele. Oh, yeah. You can't go to a new chair and expect that chair to be different. Just like if you worked at a car dealership or a real estate brokerage, to go to a different brokerage, it's just going to be a different name. Yeah. You know? So a lot of people don't really, they don't, like you said, they don't give themselves enough time. And they think the grass is greener or something like that on the other side. Uh, I just, I've saw, my one good quality is like, I look around and I, I see how other people are doing them. And it's just like, <clears throat> I saw people jumping chair to chair, and I'm like, the only time I ever want to leave a shop is if I'm doing my own thing. Now, I did leave one time, yeah. you know, but it was for a brand new shop, and I got to see how it opened up, and it was like, that was my game plan. But it's just like, you you have to give yourself time to think, you know? Were you guys both on board to come out here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we when we started talking about moving here as soon as we started dating. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it just took two years to figure it all out. How to, how to do it? Yeah. What did she do? Makeup. Yeah. How is that not a perfect match made? It was great. <laughs> so that's how you look okay. <laughs> I've never it's had my makeup magic. done. I was, just, I was just joking. Never had my makeup so done. So that's, I'm, you know what? You're a great Hollywood couple. That's awesome. 
No, it's uh, it's been great because it's like we helped each other get started. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was working. She was trying to get her stuff going. She got her stuff going. Now I hopped in the shop. You know what I'm saying? So you guys, are, it's so cool that you guys support each other. Yeah, it's like you, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I say lucky, but you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, we're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, you got a good, you know, we had a good conversation and you, you're so lucky that your girl's been in and out of this room and we don't, and no one's even heard her. <laughs> Other people's girls would be complaining. I want to go to bed. <laughs> no, we say I go eat. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, Eddie. Tell everybody how to keep in touch with you. Uh, you can hit me up on Instagram, the house of steel, S-T-E-E-L-E, the house of steel. Just find me on there. You know, that's it. I'm not going to give you five links because you barely remember the one I just gave you. The House of Steel. S-T-E-E-L-E. Check out his podcast. It's coming out very soon. And I know he's going to be hitting them comedy clubs up. So if you're in L.A., ask him where he's playing at. <laughs> yep. You'll see me. Follow me. The House of Steel. You can find the chronicles of an old fat man, borderline suicidal, you know, um, part of his life. I'm joking, guys. You're going to find a guy who's <laughs> rebirthing himself. And it all goes back to the mastermind. You know, through nothing, I became everything, you know, and I appreciate meeting you, Josh, and having me on your show. Um, and, you know, I hope to maybe have you on because I think you're an outstanding guy, honestly. And I'm not just saying that. I want to be in your in your living room <laughs> at, at, at nine, 9 o'clock, you know what I mean? So it was great. Hopefully this is the first interaction of many, and, you know, I hope to get you in contact with many of my uh, family, celebrity family members, and you get some more clientele. I would, I would greatly appreciate now that. I, now, I ha- everyone needs a hair guy or girl and a makeup guy or girl and now in Hollywood I now have my hair guy and girl and now you have an outlet to uh, a person to re- recommend makeup and hair to that's what I'm saying <laughs> and now you guys have someone to say I know someone depressed from New Jersey that's right <laughs> so I'll see you on the other side guys thank you very much for having me thank y'all very much for listening y'all have a great night I appreciate it thank you for listening This episode has been brought to you by Josh Como Hair. Innovative tools for the creative stylist. Check us out, joshcomohair.com. We appreciate you listening and hope you have a great day.